Hello, and welcome to another episode of Paranormal Pints. I'm Andy. And I'm Carrie. And we have some exciting new things that are happening with the podcast. Exciting. Very. I mean, I'm sure that by now you have seen the uploads labeled as remastered, and those are the first original nine episodes of the podcast with much better audio uh, because we hired an editor named Ian and he's awesome. Hey, Ian. Hey, Ian. Um, if you need any contact info for Ian, let us know. We'll hook you up. Um, we're also changing up how we're doing things a little bit. Yeah, we are. We decided that we are now going ad-free, which means that you will no longer have annoying ads and you don't even have to give us money for that feature. Nope. It would be nice, though. We do have a Patreon. It is patreon.com slash paranormalpints. And yeah, send us money. <laughs> if you want, if no you pressure. Want, yeah. We do have some levels set up right now. So if you do choose to donate through the Patreon, we will be in contact with you to figure out what kind of special gift you want for your Patreon subscription. Yes. And we're also working on doing some Patreon only content. Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, And we'll talk more about that as we get more in depth. But we literally just started that. So that will be a surprise for later. But we do have some fun stuff that's coming up in October. For spooky season. For spooky season, which is our favorite time of the year. Woohoo! It's like when we shine. Yeah, that's when we're our best. So we will be kind of hyping that a little bit and we'll make an announcement about what that is um, probably within the next episode or two. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe we just don't tell them. Yeah, maybe you just have to fucking listen. We have a um, visitor. We do. Hi, Gus. Hi, Gus. So uh, what kind of ice cream do you have tonight, my friend? I have just the old fashioned chocolate made by Tillamook. Oh, I love Tillamook. Speaking of local ice cream, I have a chocolate from umqua ice cream do you yeah so we went super local if you have access to umqua or tillamook ice cream it will change your life not a sponsor not Not an ad should be a sponsor well we just said we're going ad free well yes but they can give us free ice cream yeah dear tillamook and umqua bring us ice cream love paranormal bites Ooh, (laughs) do we want to talk about a little bit about our ghost activity that we've had in the apartment Eustace? Yeah. Okay, we can talk about Eustace. Why don't you start first? I I thought we had gotten rid of Eustace, and it it made me sad. Yeah, we were kind of just like, well, I was home more because I wasn't working due to COVID, and Carrie was at work, and I kept seeing shadows in his room. I was like, there's something in your room. And he kept saying, no, it's just a cat or just... Outside people. Walking by. So it turns out that that shadow that we've been experiencing... That's Eustace. It's Eustace. We've had a few other run-ins with him. Yeah, and they've all been positive. Um, I told the story about how he left me a joint once. And found my keys. And he found your keys. There was something else that we were looking for, and it was like super important that we find it. And he... It was recently. It was very recent. It was... No, that was me. I was like, it was your vape. It was on the microwave. No, I found that in the car and put it on top of the microwave. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what was it? Oh, I don't remember. But anyway, 
the whole point of the story is that Eustace is still here and has been more and more active. The other day we were in the living room and we were watching spooky YouTube videos like Ghost Con on camera and stuff. And on the TV, they were using the spirit box to try and communicate. And it was doing this really evil laugh and it was all spooky as shit. And then something in the kitchen fell off of the counter. Mm-hmm. And all of that type of stuff happens when we're watching spooky shit. Yeah, and I think it's Eustace just kind of being like, ha, look at I can be spooky too, because I don't think he's trying to scare us or even be like, hey, I'm here, because we acknowledge that Eustace is here. I think it's a protest. Like, he's not, not all ghosts are spooky. <laughs> he's knocking shit down being like, look, not all ghosts. <laughs> oh, God. That's, that's a hashtag and a half, isn't it? Not all ghosts. <laughs> Eustace is spearheading the ghosty civil rights movement Not all ghosts So I think that was all for our stories and special announcements So maybe on to our content Our scoops Yes, on to our scoops, that's the appropriate word Who scoops first? I don't know, want to rock, paper, scissors? No, because then I'll knock shit down and we'll have to reset mics and stuff Oh, that's a good point Heads or tails? Heads Hey Siri Flip a coin. Mm-hmm. It's heads. Yay. So you need to first. go first. So my lovely scoop is on a little something called the Green Children of Woolpit. The first thing I want to talk about with the Green Children of Woolpit is, first of all, what a Woolpit is, because I'm going to say it a billion fucking times. And it's basically just a big pit that's used to trap animals in. Not necessarily just like wolves, which in this case... That's what it was for. It was a wolf pit, hence wool pit. But you can also catch bears and other animals. Like um, pigs, hogs. Yeah, that kind of thing. The interesting thing about this story, too, that I found is that it doesn't have a, an exact like specific year that it says this is when it happened. It's like a range of things. So what? there's a lot that I don't really know about this particular story. I expected to find a lot of like juicy details, but I listened to like five different podcasts that had covered it. Um, and I did a bunch of Google research and there's just not much out there. But I guess it kind of makes sense because this happened between the years of 1135 and 1154. That's like a long, long time ago. A very long time ago. And there's like a 19 year gap where like it could happen anytime in these 19 years. So I just thought that was interesting. But between the years of 1135 and 1154 in the village of Woolpit, two children were found. Just randomly? Well, they were stuck in a wolf pit and it was at like dusk time. So the sun was going down. These two children were reportedly found by Ralph of Cogshell and Richard DeCon. They're both writers. Good old Ralph and Dick. Ralph and Dick. Yep. <laughs> I didn't even put that together. So these kids they found, I mean, when they found them immediately, they were concerned because there's children in this pit, but they're also, they were green. They didn't speak English. Wait, they were green? Yeah, they were green. Hence the green children of Wolf. But I just thought that was their last name. No, no, they were literally green. You know, those damn green kids. (laughs) Hmm. Yes. No, but their skin was actually terrible parents. They did not speak English. They spoke a strange language that no one could really understand. 
Um, and for a few days, they refused to eat. I will say that in my experience, when I was in interesting situations where I wasn't in my normal space and maybe a little traumatized, eating wasn't the first thing that I wanted to do either. So I will say that the fact that they didn't eat for a few days makes sense. They don't speak the language. They're in this weird place. Like They're green. They're green. These people that they don't know are offering them food. I probably wouldn't eat it either. Imagine if you just one day an alien took you home and tried to feed you. You wouldn't eat their food. I don't know. I would. You don't know what aliens eat. What if they tried to feed you dry or lint or something? You wouldn't eat that. Maybe that's why aliens come here. They survive on dry or lint. Figured it out. As the grocery shopper in the house, you really don't think I would eat something that was given to me? If I haven't eaten in days? If it was dry or lint, you wouldn't eat it. I'm just saying. Or a hamster. Depends. How is it prepared? It's raw. You have to just... It's alive. You have to put it in your mouth and chew on it. Huh. Yeah, you wouldn't eat it. That's what I'm saying. Sorry. Hamster violence. Trigger warning. <laughs> Eventually, the kids did eat, though. They came across broad beans, which I guess are close to fava beans. Fava beans. Fava? Fava? Hello, Clarice. Anyway. The children ate them raw. Ew. Mm-hmm. I like raw vegetables. I but raw beans. Raw mm. beans. Yeah. Eventually, the kids did adapt to normal food, and their green skin color went away. So what were they eating in that wolf pit? Well, they were found in the wolf pit. Like, the town dug the wolf pits, and they found them in. They didn't live in the wolf pit. That's part of what the story is so wild. So the children did learn to speak English, and they were baptized. They were baptized. Yeah, apparently they were baptized. Not long after they were baptized. Like, against their will? No, I'm assuming that they, when they learned to speak English, they were taught, like, whatever religion they were baptized into. Back then, it would have been probably Catholic. I was thinking Catholic. I don't fucking know. They were baptized. We don't know the history of the... We don't know history. We don't care. This is not a history podcast. Not long after they were baptized, though, um, the little girl's brother died. Mm, well, yeah, poor kid. When they questioned the girl about where they came from and how they got into the wolf pit, she said that they came from a place called St. Martin's Land. Um, and she said the sun never shone and it was like it was always dusk. So they're mole people. Yeah, I mean, she said that everything in St. Martin's Land was green, which is interesting if the sun never shines because usually green means chlorophyll and plants create chlorophyll using sunlight. So... I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, But she said she had no idea how they wound up in the wool pit. Um, They were herding their uh, father's cattle, and they heard a loud noise, and they followed the noise and found themselves in the wolf pit. Why do people follow loud noises? Well, some people are guessing that the noise was the bells at St. Edmund's. And so they were following the bell sound. And if you think about it, the bell is... It's actually a really nice sound. I don't know that it would draw me to the bells. Yeah, but... But I mean, I they think, don't have phones and stuff back then, so... I think they were lost. Oh, and okay. so they were following the bells as they were trying to get home. They had well, their father's cattle. And back then, bells signified yep. civilization. Yep. So I, I get it. Ralph, who took care of the girl as she grew up, and I use that loosely because he's kind of a dick... Um, said that he didn't what? do anything, did he? I don't think so. Um, I'll get into a little bit about what happened to the girl as she grew up. 
Um, Ralph thinks that the kids had been herding cattle in a cave underground and heard the bells and followed them. So his theory is that the that St. Martin's land is actually underground um, and that there are beings that live there. More people. Yeah, essentially. And that something happened at dusk and they were able to basically enter into this realm from their own realm. <laughs> Just made me like, think, do you remember the Disney movie Atlantis? Yes. You know the roly-poly mole guy? Yeah. That's all I can think of yeah. right now. That's a good one. So I was thinking it was kind of like a bridge to Terabithia where they like use this rope swing and all of a sudden they're in this other world. Okay. But in bridge to Terabithia, Terabithia they were using their imagination. So where did these actually... kids come from? Though? And, and that's the thing. No one really, really knows. The girl was eventually given the name Agnes. She was described as wanton and impudent, which means that she was probably mouthy where people thought she shouldn't be and sexually active or promiscuous. So we need to get friends of Agnes patches made. Uh, Essentially, Agnes is my hero. So she eventually married and it's said that she married a royal officer named Richard Barr. Now, earlier when I said that Ralph took care of her, what I mean is that he let her live in his place in return for her servitude. So indentured servitude. Yeah. So he didn't like take her in as his own. He was like, fine, I'll take you in, but you have to be my servant, which I think society was very, very different then. But I'm sure she was like, what the fuck? I don't want to work for you. And that's why she was impudent because she didn't want some fucking guy. She didn't even know telling her what to do. So, uh, I mean, aside from all that, what are the explanations? Like, you keep asking me, like, where do these fucking kids come from? So, obviously, the first explanation is that the kids are from a subterranean world and they got lost, which we kind of talked about a little bit. Mole people. Mole people. And I don't know enough about Earth to really decide whether this could be a thing or not. It's probably not the case, but another option is that they are aliens what if they're beings from an alternate universe? Wouldn't that make them alien? Define alien, though. Beings from an alternate universe. <laughs> if they're interdimensional alien, beings, are are they alien or they are interdimensional? I think they're their own thing. Okay. I don't know. Was Q ever called an alien? I don't think we should base our scientific thoughts on sci-fi on TV, Fine. even though I love Star Trek. Fine. Another option is that it's just 100% bullshit. Plausible. And it never happened because these guys were both writers and they wait, just made Wait, they were both up. writers? Yeah. I said that. Pay attention. That's a weird fucking thing to write about. I didn't say they wrote about it. I don't... They probably... Yeah, I think... I think they did. Sounds like a bad acid trip to me. Yeah, and then, like, the boy died. Like, so there's only this girl... I don't know. It was just kind of sketch. This seems like the most realistic option to me that it's bullshit, but my runner-up is that the kids were actually Flemish, (laughs) and they got lost while they were hurting the animals, and the strange language that nobody understood was Flemish. So a historian who's done a little bit of reading up on this, his name's Derek Brewer, he said, The likely core of the matter is that these very small children herding or following flocks strayed from their forest village, spoke little, and in modern terms, did not know their home address. They were probably suffering from chlorosis, a deficiency disease which gives the skin a greenish tint, hence the term green sickness. With a better diet, it disappears. 
Yeah, I mean, my cousin ate enough oranges when she was a toddler to turn her skin orange, so. Yeah, well, and it's with a better diet, it disappears. Well, the boy died, and she eventually wasn't green anymore. Mm-hmm. And back then, man, malnourishment and vitamin deficiencies and everything were so much more widespread than they are now, um, which isn't to say that we don't have those malnourishment issues and diseases in our own society. But like, for instance, we know that eat an orange so you don't get scurvy. Mm-hmm. Use iodized salt so you don't get a goiter. Like <laughs> we know some things that help and we're able to get we're able to access things that keep us healthier. Hmm. So what do you think? Mole people. You think they're mole people? Mm-hmm. Oh. It's obvious. They were found in a hole. Also, I have to totally shout out, and that's why we drink, because they covered this. And it's where the whole, um, well, obviously, he's a wonton comes from. <laughs> and I think that, like, I use that as an insult a lot. So, so much. Yeah. So thanks for covering that, um, M. That was a good one, and I covered it, too. The end. The end. So what's your scoop on, Bestie? I'm going to do the story of the Russian sleep experiment. Ooh, spoopy. It's a creepypasta, mm-hmm. which, eh, it's not necessarily factual, but it's spooky and fun. It's not necessarily factual? You <laughs> it's mean it's not at all factual? Not at all factual. It's completely fictional, but it's fun okay. and spooky. Well, we're here for all of the spooky shit. Russian researchers in the late 1940s kept five people awake for 15 days using an experimental gas-based stimulant. They were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor their oxygen intake so the gas didn't kill them, since it was toxic in high concentrations. This was before closed-circuit cameras, so they had only microphones and five-inch thick glass porthole-sized windows in the chamber to monitor them. The chamber was stocked with books, cots to sleep on, but no bedding. And why cots to sleep on if they're not going to go to sleep? Running water and toilet. And enough dried food to last all five for over a month. The test subjects were political prisoners deemed enemies of the state during World War II. Everything was fine for the first five days. The subjects hardly complained, having been promised falsely that they would be freed if they submitted to the test and did not sleep for 30 days. Their conversations and activities were monitored and it was noted that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic incidents in their past. And the general tone of the conversations took on a darker aspect after the four-day mark. So four days without sleep. Where would you be at? I wouldn't make it a day without sleep. (laughs) After five days, they started to complain about the circumstances and events that led them to where they were, and started to demonstrate severe paranoia. They stopped talking to each other and began alternately whispering to the microphones and one-way mirrored portholes. Oddly, they all seemed to think they could win the trust of the experimenters by turning over their comrades, the other subjects in captivity with them. At first, the researchers suspected this was an effect of the gas itself. So, just to recap, five people put into a chamber, mm-hmm. can't sleep because mm-hmm. they're given a stimulant, mm-hmm. and like they're all chummy at first, but then they start... Like distrusting each other, right? Yeah, it makes sense. After nine days, the first of them started screaming. He ran the length of the chamber, repeatedly yelling at the top of his lungs for three hours straight. Nope. Can you imagine? Mm -mm. After like two hours of recording this podcast, I'm like, can we just not talk for three days? My voice hurts. How come I can talk all fucking day, but the minute there's a microphone in my face, it hurts? He continued attempting to scream, but was only able to produce occasional squeaks. 
Like Sterling. <laughs> the researchers postulated that he had physically torn his vocal cords. Oh, could you imagine what that would feel like? Nope. The most surprising thing about this behavior is how the other captives reacted to it, or rather didn't react to it. They continued whispering to the microphones until the second of the captives started to scream. Oh, shit. The two non-screaming captives took the books apart, smearing page after page with their own feces and pasted them calmly over the glass portholes. The screaming promptly stopped. Oh. So now the researchers can't see them and the screaming stops. That's fun. Mm -hmm. So did the whispering to the microphones. So now these researchers can't hear anything. After three more days passed, the researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure they were working since they thought it impossible that no sound could be coming from five people inside. The oxygen consumption in the chamber indicated that all five must still be alive. In fact, it was the amount of oxygen five people would consume at a very heavy level of extraneous exercise. Maybe they were just in there fucking. Right? They were just fucking each other right in the butt. The Russian sleep orgy. On the morning of the 14th day, the researchers did something they said they would not do to get a reaction from the captives. They used the intercom inside the chamber hoping to provoke any response from the captives they were afraid were either dead or vegetables. They announced, We are opening the chamber to test the microphones. Step away from the door and lie flat on the floor, or you will be shot. Compliance will earn one of you your immediate freedom. Don't trust it, guys. I don't trust it. To their surprise, they heard a single phrase and calm voice response. We no longer want to be freed. Mm-mm-mm. Time to burn it all to the ground. Burn it to the ground. Just walk away. Debate broke out among the researchers and the military forces funding the research. Unable unable to provoke any more response using the intercom, it was finally decided to open the chamber at midnight on the 15th day. Lock that shit up and burn it. Burn it. Throw some spiders in there for good measure. Or if X-Files taught me anything, cover it in dirt. Mm Mm-hmm. The chamber was flushed of the stimulant gas and filled with fresh air, and immediately voices from the microphone, microphones began to object. Three different voices began begging, as if pleading for the life of a loved one, to turn the gas back on. The chamber was opened and the soldiers sent in to retrieve the test subjects. They began to scream louder than ever before. No, oh, no. And so did the soldiers when they saw what was inside. Four of the five subjects were still alive. Although no one could rightly call the state that any of them were in life. The food rations past day five had not been so much as touched. There were chunks of meat from the dead test subjects' thighs and chest stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber. What? Blocking the drain and allowing four inches of water to accumulate on the floor. It's probably shit water. Shit water, blood water, piss water. Vomit water. Precisely how much of the water on the floor was actually blood was never determined. All four surviving test subjects also had large portions of muscle and skin torn away from their bodies. The destruction of flesh and exposed bone on the fingertips indicated the wounds were inflicted by hand, not with teeth as the researchers initially thought. My skin's kind of crawling a little bit. Don't I always pick the most fun ones? Yeah. Closer examination of the position and angles of the wounds indicated that most, if not all of them, were self-inflicted. Oh no. The abdominal organs below the rib cage of all four test subjects had been removed, while the heart, lungs, and diaphragm remained in place. The skin and most of the muscles attached to the ribs had been ripped off, exposing the lungs through the rib cage. Did they eat the muscle in the rib cage? Ribs. 
all the blood vessels and organs. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. Oh, God. Ribs. All the blood vessels and organs remained intact. They had just been taken out and laid on the floor, fanning out around the eviscerated, but still living bodies of the subjects. Oh, no. The digestive tract of all four could be seen to be working, digesting food. It quickly became apparent that they were digesting was their own flesh that they had ripped off and eaten over the course of days. So they were eating it. They were eating the ribs. Their own. Their own. Yeah. Auto-cannibalism. Most of the soldiers were Russian, special operatives at the facility, but still many refused to return to the chamber to remove the test subjects. They continued to scream to be left in the chamber and alternately begged and demanded that the gas be turned back on, lest they fall asleep. To everyone's surprise, the test subjects put up a fierce fight in the process of being removed from the chamber. Mm -mm. One of the Russian soldiers died from having his throat ripped out. Another was gravely injured by having his testicles ripped off. I don't have (sighs) testicles and that hurts. (sighs) And an artery in his leg severed by one of the subject's teeth. Chomp. I'm going to need a minute. (laughs) Another five of the soldiers lost their lives if you count ones that committed suicide in the weeks following the incident. In the struggle, one of the four living subjects had his spleen ruptured and he bled out almost immediately. The medical researchers attempted to sedate him, but this proved impossible. He was injected with more than ten times the human dose of morphine derivative and still fought like a cornered animal, breaking the ribs and arm of one of the doctors. When Hart was seen to beat for a full two minutes after he had bled out to the point there were more air there was more air in his vascular system than blood. Ooh. Even after it stopped, he continued to scream and flail for another three minutes. Okay, but how? Struggling to attack anyone in reach and just repeating the word more over and over, weaker and weaker, until he finally fell silent. Oh god. The surviving three test subjects were heavily restrained and moved to a medical facility. The two with intact vocal cords continuously begging for the gas, demanding it to be kept awake. More. More. The most injured of the three was taken to the only surgical operating room that the facility had. In the process of preparing the subject to have his organs placed back within his body, it was found that he was effectively immune to the sedative they had given him to prepare him for the surgery. No, that's one of my worst fears. He fought furiously against the restraints when the anesthetic gas was brought out to put him under. He managed to tear most of the way through a four-inch wide leather strap on one wrist, even though the weight of a 200-pound soldier was holding that wrist as well. Wow. And his bones didn't break? Nope. It took only a little more anesthetic than normal to put him under, and the instant his eyelids fluttered and closed, his heart stopped. No. At that point, though, it's like putting him out of his misery. Don't go to sleep, Andy. In the autopsy of the test subject that died on the operating table, it was found that his blood had tripled the amount of level of oxygen. His muscles that were still attached to his skeleton were badly torn, and he had nine broken bones. Wow. In the struggle to not be subdued. So, he did break bones. Most of them were from the force his own muscles had exerted on them. Can you imagine breaking your own bones with your muscle strength? Like a cramp so hard that it breaks your bone? I swear, I've almost been there. Right. The second survivor had been the first of the group of five to start screaming. His vocal cords destroyed. He was unable to beg or object to the surgery. 
and he only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought near him. He shook his head yes when someone suggested reluctantly they try the surgery without anesthetic, and did not react for the entire six-hour procedure of replacing his abdominal organs and attempting to cover them with the remainder of his skin. Oh my god. The surgeon presiding stated repeatedly that it shouldn't be medically possible for the patient to still be alive. One terrified nurse assisting the surgery stated that she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times whenever his eyes met hers. Like he was enjoying it? Or he saw a pretty lady. I know that when I'm open on an operating table and a sexy nurse looks at me, I just can't help but smirk at her like, hey. (laughs) Me too. Mm -hmm. When the surgery ended, the subject looked at the surgeon and began wheezing loudly, attempting to talk while struggling. Assuming this must be something of a drastic importance, the surgeon had a pen and pad fetched so the patient could write his message. It was simple. Keep cutting. Told you he liked it. The other two test subjects were given the same surgery, both without anesthetic as well. Although they had to be injected with a paralytic for the duration of the operation, the surgeon found it impossible to perform the surgery while the patients laughed continuously. Yeah, that would make it difficult. Right? Mm-hmm. Just a smidgen. Once paralyzed, the subjects could only follow the attending researchers with their eyes. The paralytic cleared their system in an abnormally short period of time, and they were soon trying to escape their bounds. The moment they could speak, they were again asking for the stimulant gas. The researchers tried asking why they had injured themselves, why they had ripped out their own guts, and why they wanted to be given the gas again. Only one response was given. I must remain awake. All three subjects' restraints were reinforced, and they were placed back into the chamber awaiting determination as to what should be done with them. The researchers facing the wrath of their military benefactors for having failed the stated goals of their project considering euthanizing the surviving subjects. At this point in time, I feel like there is an ethical responsibility that they created these people, whatever they are, and it's their responsibility to ensure that they're not in pain. And that doesn't mean euthanizing them. That means putting them in the room and letting them have the gas. Mm -hmm. The commanding officer, a former KGB agent, instead saw some potential and wanted to see what would happen if they were put back on the gas. The researchers strongly objected, but were overruled. So remember how I was talking about how this couldn't possibly be real? Yeah. You know, aside from all the medical crap, the KGB wasn't around. In the 40s. So the KGB was started in 1954. So there's no way that they could have done this. Mm -hmm. So in preparation for being sealed in the chamber again, the subjects were connected to an EEG monitor and had the restraints padded for long-term confinement. To everyone's surprise, all three stopped struggling the moment it was let slip that they were going back on the gas. They were like, we can deal with this for just a little bit longer. It was obvious that at this point, all three were putting up a great struggle to stay awake. One of the subjects that could speak was humming loudly and continuously. The mute subject was straining his legs against leather binds with all his might, first left, then right, then left again, for something to focus on. The remaining subject was holding his head off his pillow and blinking rapidly. Having been the first to be wired for EEG, most of the researchers were monitoring his brain waves in surprise. They were normal most of the time, but sometimes flatlined inexplicably. Like maybe he's dozing off. Oh. Is my guess. 
But even when you doze off, you have brain waves. But remember what happens when they sleep? They die. Mm-hmm. Mm. But your brain works for a little while after you die. It looked as if they were repeatedly suffering from brain death before returning to normal. Can you imagine? <laughs> As they focused on the paper scrolling out of the brainwave monitor, only one nurse saw his eyes slip shut at the same moment his head hit the pillow. His brainwaves immediately changed to that of a deep sleep, then flatlined for the last time as his heart simultaneously stopped. Really dark, but fun. The only remaining subject that could speak started screaming to be sealed in now. His brainwaves showed the same flat lines as one who had just died from falling asleep. The commander gave the order to seal the chamber with both subjects inside, as well as three researchers. One of the named three immediately drew his gun and shot the commander point blank between his eyes, then turned the gun on the mute subject and blew his brains out as well. Wow. He pointed his gun at the remaining subject, still restrained to a bed, as the remaining members of the medical and research team fled the room. I won't be locked in here with these things. Not with you, he screamed at the man strapped to the table. What are you? He demanded. I must know. The subject smiled. Have you gotten forgotten so easily? The subject asked. We are you. We are the madness that lurks within you all, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go to the nocturnal haven where we cannot tread. The researcher paused, then aimed at the subject's heart and fired. The EEG flatlined as the subject weakly choked out. So nearly free. It makes you wonder what what would happen if we didn't need to sleep. What kind of beings would we be? I don't know. There's something about sleep that makes us so human. It's dreaming. You think it's the dreaming? Mm-hmm. Some animals dream too. I think a lot of animals dream. That was a good one. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Thank you for sharing it with us. Of course. So, I don't know about y'all that are listening, but I had a really good time. And I hope that we can do this again next week. And we'll be in your ears next week. Yeah. Me and Carrie. And by the way, by the way, make sure, can you Q-tip a little deeper next time? Gross. What? <laughs> Earwax. <laughs> so, me and Carrie and our sweet little key cats will be in your ears next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Paranormal Pints. Music by Santino Huber. Art by Joanna Muller. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash paranormal pints. Donate to Patreon at patreon.com slash paranormal pints. And if you have any scoop ideas or personal stories, please share them with us by emailing paranormalpints at gmail.com. Please like, subscribe, and rate us.